Before we jump into today's episode, we want to talk to you about Internet Church. Rich, what is Internet Church? Oh, it's only the best internet gathering this side of the Kailua River. Is the Kailua River a thing? Maybe we should start over. <laughs> let's let's do it again. Ask me again. <laughs> no, let's leave it in. Now no, no, let's talk about Internet Church. Uh, internet Church. Actually, it's a thing we do every other Friday night where we all gather together, uh, encourage the saints in truth. It's uplifting. It's edifying. It's just a time to gather for about an hour on a Friday night or day, depending what part of the world you're in, just to be encouraged by the saints. You you think you would like something like that? Is the Pope Catholic? Uh, you bet your sweet bippy the Pope is Catholic. And uh, Justin, Internet Church is all about gospel freedom. It's good. I'm trying to think of the follow-up question. <laughs> oh, I'm like, man, this thing is lagging. Uh, all right. If No. Absolutely love it. So if you were going to... No. What are we going for? Are we trying to be funny or are we trying to be serious? I don't know. I I mean, whatever. I, we're trying to let people know that... Oh, <laughs> I'm not as gifted as you are in this department, my friend. So join us every other Friday night, 8 o'clock Central, 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern. If you are international and want to add that to your calendar so you don't have to do all the time conversions, head on over to lovereality.org slash circles and add the Internet Church Circle to your calendar. Welcome back to The Move, where we are vibing with the book at least 10 minutes at a time. You know, you're a liar. I am. Yeah, because last time you said at least 10 minutes, yeah. and we actually had the first maybe ever on the history of The Move under 10 minutes. And Well, here's what happened, is that <laughs> I was reading the text, and I was already working ahead, uh-huh. and I did not concentrate enough on Hebrews 9.15, yeah. which actually sets the thing up, gives us a little background, and then returns back to the point. So this is where we're at. Had I focused on verse 15 of chapter 9 in the you book of Hebrews, you would not be a liar. It would not have been <laughs> at least 10 minutes at a time. So the next 10 minutes or so, we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23, all the way to the end of the chapter. We might also throw in a little bit of 15. We have to throw in a little bit of 15 because 15 is, uh, if you're there reading it, Hebrews 9, 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. Mm, okay. Right? So you hear the you hear the the death that occurs yeah. when there's a broken covenant, mm-hmm. but then that death now redeems. Mm. In what way does that death redeem? In that it releases you from the requirements of the covenant. It releases you from the requirements of the covenant uh, I would massage that language in so much that the requirements of the covenant been have been fulfilled. Okay. Therefore, there is a nice bookend. Ah, so it's not as though that you just nullify the first covenant. Yeah. No, the stipulations have yeah. concluded. To use yeah. the analogy that you used in the last episode, the three months of production is concluded. Yeah. We've done everything we need to do. Wrap it up. It's not that the first covenant is bad. It's just that, well, it's done. It's done. We, we did all the things. Right. Now it's on to the next. Now it's on to the next, to the next thing. thing. So, for instance, if you and I have a uh, contract that we make, three months of production, I uh, step out of it, and it requires that 35% of the agreed upon amount has to be paid to you. I pay you the 35% because I couldn't do the three months of production is the covenant is, I mean, is the covenant slash contract 
do we now cut it up and do away with it? No. Quite to the contrary. Mm-hmm. We've actually established it. Mm, we've allowed the covenant to be enacted. It's, it's fulfilled. Exactly. Right. So this is actually a callback back to Romans 3. If you want to jump over there real quick with me, sure. just because anybody who's hearing me talk might have heard the language already. And this is actually a verse where many get tripped up about the role of the law. Quote uh-huh. unquote, right? right. So if you go to the end of Romans chapter 3, and this is why I, you know, there's so many reasons I believe that Hebrews was actually written by Paul because it just follows his theology so neatly. It's just that I think we have the one example of him actually speaking directly in a letter to his king's kinsmen, yeah. right? Instead of a mixed audience. Mm-hmm. So Hebrews chapter three, I'm sorry, Romans chapter three. Uh, if you go to verse 27, mm-hmm. right? And we read right on through there. He says, then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So you see this idea of like, is it by works? Is it by faith? Is it by faith? Is it by works? And you know, that's to be understood a particular way. Uh, Verse 28, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law, meaning that someone is justified. Someone is made right with God by the faithfulness of God, not by the works you do. Mm -hmm. So it isn't you bringing a lamb to the sanctuary that justifies you. It's the faithfulness of God to you that's exemplified in the you bringing of the lamb. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. Watch how he concludes. 29, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. What Paul is trying to highlight is that it's not in bringing the lamb to the sanctuary that you're justified. You bringing a lamb to the sanctuary is just a symbolism of how he justifies through his faithfulness represented in the lamb. Mm -hmm. And that faithfulness as demonstrated in fact and in reality in the death of Messiah Jesus is not only for the Jew, but also the Gentile. So this work of the law of bringing a lamb to the sanctuary is not the thing that justifies you. It's the faithfulness of Messiah to you Mm -hmm. as exemplified in the bringing of the lamb that actually justifies. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's why he's saying that faithfulness is for the Jew and the Gentile. Verse 30, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised Through through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? What do we say? Do we then throw out the sanctuary service because of this? Hmm. Do we then throw out our lives as Jews because of this? Hmm. Do we then say that the bringing of a lamb had no role, that it had no benefit? Paul says, no, of course not. Do we then throw the law out by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we do what? Uphold the law. Uphold. Why? Mm -hmm. Because the fulfillment of what this was pointing to has been evidenced in the very life of Messiah Mm -hmm. Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then Hebrews 9, therefore... He is the mediator of a new covenant, verse 15, so that those who are called may receive the promised internal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. If the first covenant has stipulations and those stipulations were violated, right? There's mm-hmm. certain rules and we're like, nah, you know, God says, do this, 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 this. The people are like, nah, we ain't going to do it. And they didn't do it. There's a violation. So what happens? A death. Right. Because you're separated from God. But from amongst the people, someone comes that actually bears that death. We know that this is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus bears this death, he actually establishes the first covenant. Mm. Why? Because in his death, the first covenant actually has teeth. Mm -hmm. Right. But wonders of wonders. 
the first covenant finds its goal in Jesus. And then it has continuity because in him giving his life, he resurrects through the power of an indestructible life. And now emerges the second covenant, right? Mm -hmm. Or the new covenant. This is so important to understand. The new covenant only works because the first one is established. Mm. If the first one is not fulfilled, then the second one can't even enter, enter the equation yet. No, because the second one hinges on the first because the first one says, I will do for you. The second one says, I have done for you. Hmm. Right? Yeah. First one is, I will do for you. But it finds fault with the people because the people insert themselves and the people say, oh, no, we will. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And then they don't. Boom. What happens? God still does for them in his own person of Messiah. He bears the consequences of their unfaithfulness under the first covenant and then resurrects humanity through Jesus to actually do what he promised to Abraham that was actually embedded in the first covenant. And now it finds its fulfillment in resurrected Jesus, mm-hmm. Allah, the new covenant. So, so this is why the language of, oh, first covenant is done away with is not as helpful as first covenant has been fulfilled in Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is why uh, the first covenant, you know, Paul does use language of it becoming obsolete, but only because of the limitation of the first covenant without the continuation of resurrection Mm -hmm. has come to an end. When you see the requirement of the first covenant being death, that has been accomplished in Jesus. That does not therefore nullify God's promise from Abraham into the first covenant exemplified in Jesus being resurrected. This is Paul's point in Galatians chapter three. Like the promise has come, the Mm -hmm. seed, the one has come. And he was evidenced all the way back. He was given as a promise to Abraham he was evidenced in the first covenant. He has actually borne the death of the first covenant. That's why the first covenant is established, right, by a law of faith. And now the fullness of all of that has actually been seen in his resurrection. That's why Romans chapter 321 says, now a righteousness has been demonstrated apart from the law, although the law and the prophets testify unto mm. it. That makes sense? Yeah, 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 definitely. So we get to uh, towards the end of this chapter. Where are we leading t- uh, forward? Because we're going to be getting into Hebrews chapter 10 pretty soon. Oh, which is a and fun Hebrews one. Hebrews 10 is an exciting chapter. This is one, you know, before putting all the previous chapters together and piecing it together, yeah. I've been really in- excited about Hebrews 10 because it just talks so much about the sufficiency of what Jesus yeah. has done. So very excited to get there. But how does he ramp up leading up to Hebrews chapter So 10? this is, sorry for such a long buildup, right? But that's because we went only nine minutes nine on minutes. the last one. Let's go <laughs> like 30 on this you one. You win some, you lose some. You win some, you lose some. Um, verse 23, thus it is necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So the first covenant is purified under blood, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But... The heavenlies are purified with better things. Well, what could be better than blood, particularly the the blood of bulls and goats? Well, for Christ has entered not into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So he appears and he is inaugurating and initiating a new reality. We talked about this a couple episodes prior with Mm -hmm. uh, Tyler, right? Mm -hmm. So this is just... Um, doubling down on this, that he's not there to offer himself repeatedly like the first system does. Mm -hmm. The first system has um, the big day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the day of expiation, and that happens yearly. But also you have a cycle of daily offerings that Mm -hmm. occur. And then connected to that service, you have these appointments with God that occur 
uh, every single year. With the, some, some call them the feasts, right? The Moedim, which are actually the appointments, the appointed times. And so there's a cyclical. There's a cyclical framework around the first covenant that the author is saying, listen, verse 25, now it was not to offer himself repeatedly. Something has found its completion. This cycle that we've been living in that that signifies something, whether or not we've got to do it anymore is, uh, you know, that's, that's to be questioned. Certainly you're not taking part in the sanctuary services anymore. Hmm. Right. It seems as though uh, for the Jewish people, they seem to still even the Messianic Jews, they still just take part in the appointed feasts. Right. Hmm. And that's that's a whole nother bag of worms. We'll get into. Right. right? But the point is that this cyclical things, they have found their fulfillment in Christ. Hmm. Right. And so he doesn't offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. Verse 26, for when we would have had, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Mm. So you see that the age that Jesus has wrapped up mm-hmm. is the age that has been indicated by the first sanctuary, mm-hmm. right, on earth. It is the age of the first covenant. And the way that it is wrapped up and neatly, you know, put a bow on is verse 26. He has appeared once for all at the end of the age to do what? Put away sin. Mm. Right. And he's done this in his person. Right. Right. This is the promise of uh, or the prophecy of Daniel 9, 24 Mm -hmm. through 27, that he Mm. would come in the midst of the week. He would be cut off, that he put an end to iniquity. So this has all occurred. Verse 27. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Now, this is an analogy that Paul's making, author of Hebrews. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Mm. him. So presently, what we see is that Jesus, because he has put an end to sin, is now interceding on our behalf until all his enemies are made his footstool, that he is actually mediating his life back to us. He can mediate his life back to us because the death that was required under the first covenant has been accomplished. And in that way, he has put away sin so that now what he does is he offers his life back to us from this from this, this, this idea of a heavenly sanctuary. And he intercedes on our behalf. And that intercession is not to be understood as Jesus standing between us and God. Mm-hmm. Like, Father, please forgive them. They're the worst, but if we just love them so much. No, it's now that God is pleased to have a human in his presence because having a human in his presence secures the reality and the life of all humanity through the one man, Jesus. And so that Jesus has come. He has He has ended the dominion of death because he has died the death that is proper to the first covenant Mm. and now he's inaugurated the age of the spirit of life the life of the spirit and all those who would believe in what he has inaugurated actually receive the gift of life the holy spirit so that they too might live in holy spirit power as they await his return. And that's what he's mediating. He's mediating his Holy Spirit power from his indestructible life. And he is interceding on behalf of those who might need help 
while still alive on this earth, right? So, so those of us who are receiving the Spirit, what is the impact of receiving that Holy Spirit power that's being mediated to us? The impact is that you were once dead are now alive because you are now alive according to your created destiny. Too often we think that the goal of this Christian thing is for us to get into heaven. Mm-hmm. And the way that we do it is by way of obedience. Mm-hmm. And so there is a disagreement on where that obedience comes from. For some, it is the obedience of Christ in our place so that his merits are attributed to us when we can't do. For others, it is the obedience that we offer Christ. We know that it's not enough, but we offer obedience and then he closes the gap and does the rest. Mm-hmm. The sort of dismisses the mark because this is concerned with getting to heaven. Right. By being rooted in some sort of obedience, either ours that we produce and then he takes the rest because ours is insufficient or by others that they say, oh, well, his obedience is all and I'm going to live at peace or I'll live in licentiousness, one or the other. But his obedience covers it all. But the goal of the death of Christ Paul clearly tells us in Galatians 3.13 that he became a curse for us so that we might receive the blessing of Abraham, Mm -hmm. the promised Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit is life within us for us to live according to our created value and destiny in union, in participation, in intimacy, in fellowship. Bible calls it koinonia, in koinonia with our father, right? So that the goal is for us to have life and to have life more abundantly according to our created and destined uh, ideal, mm-hmm. right? It's not about getting the, yeah, heaven's great because that's where God is. There'll be no more crying, no more uh, no more death. But that's actually the reality of the new earth, yeah, right, in the long haul. But the benefit of all of this is him mm. and us actually being who we were created to be. So that we can live the sort of life that he says is ours. And when we see him for who he is, we say what you say and what you have presented as life is what my actual soul desires. And who I am was actually designed to find satisfaction in this. Mm. Right. So that's 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 the benefit. You have another? No, no, no. Sounds I mean, the blessings of the spirit, the fruits of the spirit. I mean, we get to live by that, you know. I just think it's just so cool that when you receive the spirit, these are the results. These are the fruits. And and I, I've always looked at those, I mean, not always, but growing up, I've, I've looked at those passages like these are the things that you must have in order to receive the spirit. Yeah. Which is like literally the opposite of that word picture. It's like, no, no, you receive the spirit. Here's what happens next. Yeah, I, I see this very often in the way we conceive of or the way we interpret this good news. Mm. I, I, this this past weekend at church, I preached a sermon about the body of Christ. And one of a thought that emerged for somebody was, you know, I, I'm in agreement with all this, but you got to be real, real, real careful so that this doesn't sound like universalism. Right? And my response to that has now become, and what's the problem with universalism? Mm. Right? Like name it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like name it. And I'm not saying that universalism is biblical, right? Like that's that's not where I'm, I'm but I'm asking a a question for the sake of insight. Yeah. So you tell me what's the problem with universalism? I think the people the problem that people have with universalism is like, well, what about fill in the blank person? And maybe they're not willing to say themselves, but they they will point to a person and say, 
well, they can't be saved because they're living a certain way. And the concern is some sort of moralism, which isn't to be downplayed. That's an important part sure. of life. But I think the reason why universalism, universalism stands so contrary is like, well, everyone can't be saved because if you're acting a fool, then what's to stop you from acting a fool? Yeah, and that sort of mentality right there is that you yourself have not, It seems to me as though we're not rested fully Mm. in the goodness of God and how much better it is to live in him than without him so that I'm not measuring my acceptance against somebody else's behavior. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, well, what about this person? What do I care? Yeah. Yeah. Like this here thing is so good. I want you to have it, too. Yeah. Right. Mm. And if he says that you can have it at the end of the age, good for you. Like, get it. Like. I've had the privilege of being, I've been living in it this whole time, Yeah. but I want it for you too, Yeah. right? The mentality that says, oh, we got to be careful because of that person then says that you're earning heaven or you're meriting heaven in some way and it's arduous to you and yeah. you don't want them to get it because then it'd be easy because they had the pleasure of actually experiencing human pleasure while you denied yourself. So no. you have to have a reward and they can't just sneak in. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like that to me is just so whack. If only Jesus would have told a story about people who yeah. show up on the last hour of 100%. the work day. Right. If only there was an, a moment where we could point to where there was a person who had lived their whole life as a thief, as a as a murderer, possibly. And at his last moments on on life, he was hanging next to this one dude who's like, hey, yeah, today. On this day of all days, the day, the last day of your life, yeah, yeah man. you can have the guarantee. Yeah, because you can believe in me. Here's the problem with universalism, for those that need me to name it. The problem with universalism, as I understand it, is that it's unbiblical for one specific reason. Because it violates choice. Because people don't believe God is that good. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'd like to, I like to say this. God's a universalist. The problem is humans aren't. Yeah. <laughs> I was having a conversation earlier with someone in, in the comment section of whatever, um, and there's like, man, you got like, this is really good. I agree, but and there's but. always the but. But you got to be careful because people are gonna abuse grace. And I'm like, listen, God is so unconcerned about you abusing grace that He literally went to a cross. Like He subjected Himself to abuse because there's a hope that in you observing and experiencing the abusal of grace, yeah. that somehow that might transform you. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would frame the 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 word the verbiage is like. God is God's grace is so much greater than your abuse of it. Yes, and I use that word picture. Can you, right. you can walk me through the supra whatever? Yeah, the supra abundance of grace that where sin abound, grace abounds that much more. Like that actual abundance that Paul's talking about is like this overarching abundance that's so much greater than sin. So if sin is a bucket, grace is the ocean. Yeah. Right? So that Paul's like, how? This doesn't compute. Yeah, good luck exhausting right? grace. Like this does not compute. If sin is this bucket, Grace is an ocean, and we're all sinking, right? Then heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss, right? (laughs) Just listen to that earlier. You know what I'm saying? So that then, like, Jesus has done something so marvelous and so great for all of humanity, for he is the savior of all the world. And when I mean all, I mean all. Jesus is not the savior simply of those who believe. He is the savior of all the world, but especially... Those who believe. Yeah. yeah, Right. Yeah. yeah. Because although he is the savior of all, not all will receive him as savior. Yeah. Yeah. I put literally the video I posted today. Jesus is uh, the the sacrifice of Jesus applies to all people at all times and all places. I said, hey, if it sounded weird, if that sounds weird to you, don't worry. It also sounded weird when Paul said it like, hey, because when one died, 
all, all died. All died. I like that. And just as an aside, again, if you saw Justin's post either on Instagram or on TikTok, where he did say that the death includes all, the death absolutely includes all. This is why I think it's so important to understand uh, baptism mm. as a burial. Mm. Because although his death includes all, right? Mm. You respond and bury the old person, mm. right? So there is a death, but after there's a death, there needs to be a burial of the body. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So a death has occurred 2,000 years ago. That death occurred. Now you participate in it by burying this old thing that Jesus put to death mm -hmm. 2,000 years ago because that death 2,000 years ago includes you even now. Mm -hmm. Now you get to say, yeah, I want to take this dead thing off. You take it off and you rise up in new life through yeah. the gifting of the Holy Spirit. So yeah, man, all these thoughts occur to me. Hebrews 9 is so dope. Like the whole argument of Hebrews. Universalism isn't problematic on its own face. Like the reason that we might hold that it's problematic is because Humans don't believe God is this good, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Humans don't believe. That's what Jesus taught us. Jesus told us, yo, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but the world stands condemned already because they did not believe mm -hmm. in the one and only, right? Mm -hmm. That the Lord, that God has sent. Right? Yeah. If you believe, just believe. Believe that God is this good. He has dealt with sin once and for all. And now he intercedes. If you believe, you receive his life. I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who said, you can only believe if you obey. And you can only obey if you believe. Hmm.